Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. This week, we're heading to a place that is going to ask you to challenge your way of thinking and show you some possibilities for the future that might feel a little Ready Player One. We're joined by Paul Willey from Imagine Room Group. Now, Paul has an incredible creative background working with some world-renowned brands across his career and is now the co-founder of Imagine Room Group, which is an immersive media company producing volumetric, holographic, and 3D content for virtual worlds and businesses. We're going to be ideating on the metaverse today and the part it might play in all of our futures moving forward. Now, if you're listening and you want to get in on the action, perhaps buy some land or create an avatar, our friends at SwiftX are offering $10 worth of Bitcoin just for signing up and have some of the best prices and lowest fees on an exchange. So head to the links now show notes to take advantage of that. Because whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Paul Willie. It is so good to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Definitely. And a super cool office today, which I can't wait to dive into what you guys do. For our listeners that may not have heard of you before or seen what you've done, can you explain what you do and what Imagine Room is? Sure, with pleasure. Yeah. So Imagine Room was formed in 2018 by myself and my business partner. And we've sort of morphed over the last few years really into what you'd describe as a Web3 company, I suppose now typically, and we can dive into what that means a bit later on maybe. But we started life sort of an augmented and virtual reality production studio and we're doing work for brands, for businesses, for production companies. But sort of kind of quickly morphed into more metaverse and virtual worlds because that's where we saw opportunity particularly around humans and putting human beings into real human performance into digital worlds because it's such a hard thing to do. If you've ever played a computer game and you've seen yeah. human form represented in that, it just doesn't feel quite human. So we really quickly became interested in things like volumetric capture and holographic representation of human presentation. And that's sort of in the last sort of 12 months, it's been a great pivot for us because with, you know, Facebook calling themselves meta and everyone talking about the metaverse and obviously for the things that your audiences are interested in, how that perhaps connects with cryptocurrency and the underlying blockchain technology, we're finding ourselves really now acting as, as a content production studio for these new platforms and specifically with people uh, yeah. at the heart of it. So. Yeah, that's kind of where we've been working and where our thinking has been. It's very cool. And I have loved seeing the work that you guys are doing because it is kind of, it breaks away from that mold. When you think of, you know, traditional VR, AR technology, lots of people think about, you know, having to have these headsets on and using like sticks for your arms and, and all of this stuff. And you're just displaying that it's not actually like that. And, you know, our imagination is kind of as far as it can take us with some of the tech and the advances that we're seeing now. It's not just, you know, what maybe was possible five years ago. It's come so far, especially in the last 12 months. Yeah, that's right. I think we've seen, as I say, we find ourselves, I think, at a bit of a, a nice crossroads because we've certainly seen advances in what people are doing with game engine technology. So the tools there, and of course, not to mention the compute power and the GPU, CPU power, to actually allow people to start to create these worlds and these environments. And yeah, it's very specifically, you know, not just headset delivered content. I mean, in fact, the majority of the work that we do now is for browser delivered experiences, mm. either augmented reality content for browser so you can pull up augmented realities on your mobile phone using browser, you know, all of these growing metaverse environments. So environments such as the sandbox or Decentraland or some of these kind of on-chain environments where we're seeing real growth. And it's such an interesting kind of cultural shift 
I say that the Web3 moniker has sort of become what people are loosely describing now, the next generation of the internet and how that's spatial and how that's becoming largely owned by the communities that are involved in it and participating in it. So that, you know, the community member then becomes, a, it's not just a passive experience, but it's an active one where the consumer and the content creator owns, can trade, can really take ownership of the communities that they're working and playing in. And that's that's kind of exciting. But of course, I go back to the human component of that, Alicia. It's still really hard to put good people representation into those worlds. And they only really become exciting when you get to hang out with other people, just like the real world. Yeah, yeah. You're not just sitting there by yourself running around with maybe the NFT shoes that you bought on your feet right. and no, have no one to yeah. show them to, which we're going to dive into in a minute. But before we do, Paul, the very first question that we ask everyone to the podcast is, when was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, I was very interested in, I mean, I was probably first aware of Bitcoin in 2014, 15, but certainly didn't make, unfortunately, certainly didn't <laughs> make any purchases at that point. My first purchase of a token cryptocurrency was actually Ethereum in 2017, because I just loved the smart contracts component to what, mm. what you could do with, with Ethereum and, and just got very interested in how that was going to change not only content consumption, but therefore content production, which is obviously what we do and where, where my background and interest is. So I thought the best way to learn about that was to dive in. So I made my first Ethereum purchase 2017, and, and that actually took me to relatively early NFTs and crypto gaming. So I, my first NFT was actually one that I was airdropped because I won it on a DAP of Crypto Dozer, which was like a weird little arcade game. Yeah. And yes, I've still got that, and I've still got Ethereum. And as, yeah, the little bear I won's worth nothing, but the Ethereum's, it was worth more a few weeks ago than it is now, but it's still worth holding on to. And I think it's still worth really thinking about those currencies and those tokens and thinking about the underlying utility and how you can deploy them, which is what we do. Definitely. And thinking back to those days, like I remember Crypto Kitties being around yes. like the game and everyone's like, oh, this is, you know, it was just like a demonstration of what could happen at that stage. But to think about what we were doing back with Ethereum back then and what was that cutting edge breaking technology then now through to the games and the things that are available now and the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, it just feels like a completely different world. Like it feels like we've gone through decades instead of just a couple of years since that was our reality. Yeah, look, I think that's correct. I mean, there's also, again, it's been a perfect storm, really. And the pandemic kind of pushed people on into online worlds more than it ever had. You know, and these kind of web calls were available long before Zoom came around. But it really kind of pushed a different kind of working, a digital transformation of people's lives. It really expedited that. And yeah. I think kind of crypto and, and kind of the underlying technology of crypto was exactly the same. What's really interesting, and again, I talk really as a content creator and a manager of intellectual property, is the way that those NFT tokens have moved away from just your sort of standard profile picks, like the early crypto kitties, the early punks, and really into brands in their own right yeah. now. And that's a massive trend and a massive shift that's happened really in the last 12 months. Because, you, you know, and you look at, you know, Adidas, Nike coming in, buying NFT brands, you know, that's really interesting because they're no longer just passive static things that you own just to sort of show off to the world. They, they become membership passes almost to a community and to other worlds. And I think that's a trend that we're seeing. And we're starting to think about how we create content with NFTs and underlying chain technology that kind of talks to that. Yeah. And seeing the growth of, you know, you mentioned that the community pass, like and the access to them, I think that's a really good analogy for it. We spoke on a podcast last week about that, is that, you know, people were seeing this as JPEGs that you're buying at some stage, mm. hoping to get rich quick or flipping one. But now people are understanding that it is perhaps that opportunity to buy access to a community. 
and to be able to go to events and have exclusive things. And there's so much that's unfolding in that world, which is really, really interesting. But going back to that virtual working space, because I think that's where a lot of people listening to this will relate. You know, we all went through COVID. A lot of us had to pivot really, really quickly to working online and figure out how to use Teams and Zoom and all of these awful video platforms. Mm. Now, something that was really cool that I saw on your personal LinkedIn was that you shared this hologram of a meeting that you had with a person in Singapore. But I'm going to pop it in the show notes so you guys can check it out as well. But it wasn't what you expected. But for someone listening, can you try to describe what this hologram actually looks like and and how it's so different to what you actually think a hologram is going to look like? Yeah, well, uh, you might have to tell me what you were expecting from a hologram. Maybe you were expecting Princess Leia or um, (laughs) that, because that tends to be the point of reference from the, you know, the year I was born, 1977, you know, the Star Wars Leia popping out of R2-D2. And, you know, yeah, people sort of expect that slightly blue hued, glitchy sort of vibes or hologram. But no, Imagine Room on that particular technology have partnered with a Canadian listed company called Art Media. And we're the exclusive reseller of their holographic display technology. And what that allows is live, interactive, holo presence, as they call it. So it's like a full body, one-to-one scale Zoom call where you can communicate live and in real time with someone on a green screen capture studio in another part of the world. And that can be displayed simultaneously over a web browser in sort of a standard webcast. But then also, this is the thing I was sharing, on a Hologores projection screen, which can be one-to-one scale and in real time. We were tracking that sort of technology as it affected things like volumetric humans and human performance and human presentation for a while. And we felt that art media would be the leaders in that technology, and we still think they are. It was a real coup for us to be able to partner with them exclusively to resell that technology for Australia. And they've actually just launched on Friday a product called Capsule, which is a touchscreen interactive hollow presence display yeah. which allows you to bring live interactive presentations up and, and have the sort of conversations that we're having on a Zoom style call, but on one-to-one scale. And it's really compelling because what you get with a full body live interaction like that, holographic interaction, is you get the nuance and the non-verbal communication that's so hard to get when you're trying to do a Teams or a Zoom. So much of our communication is non-verbal and you really get that when you're interacting with someone live that's one-to-one scale. And we've tried silly things like high fives and handshakes and (laughs) all sorts of stuff because the latency is, you know, it's like 0.2 of a second. So it's, yeah, it's really compelling. And we've just, you know, we've just done a big job for AT&T down at WeWork. We did a holographic display at the State Theatre in Sydney the week before that. So it's an area of our business that's growing and I think has the potential to scale as well. Yeah. And it is just, guys, you have to go and look at this just so you can get your head around it yourself if you haven't seen it before, because it looks like you're with that person in real life. It doesn't look like a hologram. It doesn't look like something that would be part of a virtual world. It actually looks like a real life person that's there with you. And like, you know, you know that, you know that it's not real, you know, that you can't touch them, but it is those little things like the body language. And I think so much of what I'm hearing, even in a corporate setting, is so many people are just missing that human connection. But so many of us still don't want to travel all around the world. And it's so inefficient for us to be flying all around the world. And, you know, especially when the world is getting smaller and smaller, you know, if you had a conference in Singapore and then had to go to the other side of the world for something, this just allows that sort of connection and that real human experience almost to come to life when someone's so close to you. It's, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not, of course, to mention the lost opportunity, the opportunity cost of having a, you know, a chief executive on a plane. Mm. They don't tend to fly economy either. So it's the cost (laughs) for the time, you know, having that individual kind of try to fly around the world to do their town halls. There's a very good example that Art Media have shared with DHL in Canada, where they have their CEO coming and doing his sort of monthly 
town hall to 5,000 people. So it's broadcast simultaneously as a hologram on the internet, but then also to screens for people that are physically present. So it's really a cost-efficient way, an immersive way of him being able to communicate his messaging you know, using this new technology. And uh, yeah, we're very excited by it. We're also looking, actually, this is what we do a lot. We look at the existing things and see how we can break them and then put them back together. We're very interested in how that might be able to act as a bit of a portal to cross over between the digital and the physical world. And again, I'm conscious that we're on a crypto podcast, you know, the, then the underlying digital economy around that, the ownership of that asset, the fact that you could drive a call to action through a physical screen with a digital outcome, you know, it could be quite interesting. And, and some of the early conversations we're having with brands and agencies are, are around just that. Yeah. And I think this is maybe part of that next evolution as well. You know, we're seeing these metaverses, which you touched on before, you know, you've got Decentraland Sandbox, like they are really leading the way, but they are like little cartoons, kind of like we were talking about ETH back in 2017. And before that, the stuff we were building then, that was very, very gimmicky, I guess. And so do you feel like this sort of hologram technology and things like this are going to be more representative of what we might see in a metaverse in the future? I'm very hesitant to use metaverse in the singular. And I know people do, but I'm yeah. just on my board behind me here. We're tracking 50 or so different metaverses and we're invested in some way you know, I'd say about 20 at the moment, and that's not exhaustive by any stretch. I saw a thing on LinkedIn the other day, someone was tracking 150 different metaverses. Mm-hmm. I think what you might see is people using different digital worlds and different digital environments for different situations. And then, obviously, within that, you're going to want a different type of digital avatar or digital identity, depending on the community that you're working with or talking to. Mm-hmm. For example, I might want to represent myself slightly differently in a corporate environment, talking to staff, than I would you know, when I'm on the terraces at the football back home with that community talking about the footy, yeah. you know, so I think, I, I think that's sort of point number one, I think. In terms of holographic technology in virtual and spatial worlds, I would reframe that to say, we've really got to start to think about content from a 3D perspective, mm. because these worlds, whether they're low poly or voxelated or whether they're moving towards the photo reel, which is more kind of a game engine thing, brands and content producers are going to want content that works in those environments. Those environments are spatial and they're dimensionalized. So if you've only got a suite of content, which is 2D, it mm. just looks like a sticker in those yeah. environments. And I think, you know, brands and businesses that aren't thinking, and I'm banging this drum a lot at the moment, not least because it's where we specialize, but Brands that aren't thinking about content and human representation in 3D are going to be left behind. Yeah, well, you're already seeing it even with um, Nike, and we'll touch on them in a second. Like They are creating, of course, the picture and the image that you can have, but they're also yep. creating something that you can wear, like a wearable within some of these worlds, um, yes. which then creates more demand because it's like, well, not only am I getting perhaps access to real world sneakers that are dropping that are an exclusive print or exclusive run, but I'm also getting a picture of them, which is really yes. cool to add to my wallet. And then my character or avatar or whatever I have in these worlds can also wear these. So it's kind of like this utility is just growing and growing. And again, you're 100% right, because if they just had a picture of it, just a JPEG, like what's the benefit from that? What do you get out of that aside from something cool to sit in your wallet that maybe makes you money, maybe doesn't? Yeah, the, you're completely right. The crossover between the digital and the physical is really interesting and it's really underdeveloped. And it's a space that we're spending a lot of time thinking about at the moment. How can you take a consumer or a user or a player on a journey? What's the kind of the CX of that, I suppose, mm-hmm. for a brand or a business? And then, of course, you quite rightly touch on people like Nike. I mean, they've got Artifact Studios, which is an amazing 3D content production studio, basically. And again, I see that as a trend. I think, 
you'll see big brands that, that will look to creative content owners and content producers and will look to, in some capacity to bring them into their fold because Nike quite rightly see that 3D and 3D creativity is going to be a thing of the future. Mm. And out of all of those worlds that you're tracking, who do you think is leading the way at the moment? And like, you know, they it is just really a race at the moment where everyone's kind of inching ahead of each other and, and kind of fighting for the space. But what do you see that's really interesting happening in the space when you're tracking them? Look, in terms of the worlds, one of the businesses that we've followed for a while, and they were big and still are big in Australia, they're on the Australian ASX for a while, is a, a business called Animoca Brands. Yak and his company are out of Singapore, I believe. They're very interesting because they have investments and interests in content production, in content platform, and in other people's metaverses cross-sector. And they're very deeply invested in connecting brands into sort of gaming properties and thinking about the interoperability of some of these assets across platforms. Mm -hmm. So they're not only a very successful business, but are also conceptually doing some stuff that's really quite interesting. And then, of course, there's what I'd call the tentpole architecture businesses behind a lot of what we do. So I love the guys at Immutable X or Immutable, and they have a platform called Immutable X down here in Surrey Hills. I actually worked with one of their guys that was kind of employee number 12 and just super smart coming from gaming backgrounds, but then thinking about really doing a deep dive into, into digital asset ownership and what that means for content creators and interoperability of that across different gaming platforms. So businesses like that are interesting. And then, of course, you've got the huge tentpole players, you know, your game engine people, your Unreal, your uh, Unity, you know, NVIDIA, people like that are sort of that are providing the infrastructure and the architecture for the metaverse. So those are businesses that are obviously worth tracking as well. But then, yeah, you know, on top of that, I'd add a layer of your sort of independent creative studio. So some great examples of people that come from game backgrounds or film content production backgrounds here in Australia that are really worth tracking. And, and I think it's, without giving too much away, I think that's the next evolution of Imagine Room to look at how we partner with some of those content creators because getting good quality creative is going to be crucial to the experiences that we're talking about. Yeah, and it's all of these jobs that, you know, five years ago, we you talk about this at school all the time when you're at school and everyone wants you to have this career path that you have mapped out. But so many jobs today that are going to be jobs of the future, they don't exist right now because the tech doesn't exist. And what we're seeing now is this huge, huge demand for these creators in this space where, you know, there was it was such a different world for these people. It was really only a gaming space. And I think that's, again, where we're just seeing this whole thing in its infancy at the moment. And a lot of people think of VR AR and they think of gaming straight away. When you're talking to brands and, you know, encouraging them to come on this journey and saying that it is something that they need to be a part of, what sort of things do you talk about with them? If someone's listening to this and like, oh yeah, I kind of think this could be a thing and it could be something that could happen in the real world in the future, but they're just mm. not convinced on it yet. What would you say to them? Well, first of all, you're right on the gaming side of things, and that is a huge part of where this has come from. But you're also right to identify that, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg in terms of the utility of some of these worlds, environments and content. And in fact, you know, a large percentage of what we do is talking to brands and businesses that, that are in the corporate space so that, you know, they're trying to connect audiences to brand or um you know, they're, they're B2B communicators or they're operating in that space. And, and the way that we tend to approach it is we do a bit of a discovery on what their existing workflows are and what some of their existing challenges are in terms of comms, you know, what the outcomes are and really try and put a utility behind some of this technology. Because, you know, particularly over a glass of wine, I can bore you with the dystopian black mirror sort of future looking stuff with all of this. 
Yeah. And, you know, your level of interest on that will depend on probably how much wine we've drunk. But what's really interesting is when some of these things are used to solve particular challenges, particular problems, or they deliver particular utilities that are otherwise not deliverable. And that's very exciting. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with art media, the conversations around when you're mandated to fly this CEO halfway around the world, she's got to stay in an expensive hotel. She's in Australia. She's out for a week. Or you can just put her in a capture studio in LA and just, you know, they're in and out within the hour. They've done a live interactive engagement, you know, and they're back with their families for dinner. It's using the technology to solve business problems and to make things more efficient. And I think they're the sort of conversations to your original question that we're having with with brands and businesses with this technology all the time, not just doing it for its own sake, although that is cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is something that you just look at and you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? And do you yeah. think like, I guess a, a common challenge and one you probably hear all the time is that people think of this stuff and go, oh my God, but you just, you're missing that human connection. And I guess, you know, that's an objection that they have to this is like, it's not the same as having a real person in that office giving that town hall. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's, it, of course, I mean, it's a fair and legitimate objection that I was reading this morning about the avatars, you know, and people have reviewed that as a state, as a huge, you know, it's a $150 million stage show. And they're saying it's good, but it's not as good as seeing as ever in person. And, and I think that's probably true. I don't think it ever would be. And, and I don't think you should ever pretend that it's going to be. I think what, you know, what some of this technology does is it provides you an, uh, with another option. And of course, things like volumetric capture try to faithfully recreate the nuance of the human performance and interaction that you get when you're sat at a bar or in a boardroom or whatever it is, which obviously it's a lot harder to do that when you're building people in software. That's where the sort of otherworldly, they call it the uncanny valley, that sort of slightly non-humanness to a person that's been built in software. And that's what tends to lead people to say, oh, I'd be so much better. That's really crappy. It'd be better if they were here in person. Whereas obviously volumetric capture tries to shoot that person using cameras and sensors and bring them in into those virtual worlds to try and get over that problem. But I wouldn't, yeah, I, I would never pitch this as a replacement for the real world and the real world connection. That's still, this is not a replacement for that. It's a engaging, interactive alternative. Mm. And guys, like if you still haven't gone and checked out this link, you need to, because again, it's not like someone sitting there with blue hair that's in this crazy world. Like you can do that as well. And that's a really fun place to be. But as you mentioned before, Paul, like there's different times and places. If you're pitching to a board meeting or like, you know, presenting your town hall, you're probably not going to want to turn up in in like a game looking cartoon avatar. You want to be yourself where that's where this technology is leading. And I do see there's such a space for this in so many different mediums in the future. Something that we've talked on a few times is NFTs. And you mentioned Adidas and Nike, and there's some really, really cool stuff being done there. Also, you know, all the fashion houses like Dolce & Gabbana had an amazing stuff over Fashion Week. Where do you see the intersection of these with these virtual worlds and I guess this new world that we're coming up with? Well, I don't see it as a replacement for things that traditional, particularly retail and luxury brands have done. But I think it's an interesting add-on and it's an interesting way that they can engage with their communities or their fans or their or their audience at different touch points. You know, if you, if you want to buy a Rolex, you know, you're doing that for various reasons. You're doing that as a luxury purchase. You're probably partly doing it to show off, you know, or to shield that item and sort of denotes a certain level of life achievement, I suppose. You're still going to do that, even though you can also buy probably almost for the same money that item in the virtual world and in the metaverse. You're, you're not going to suddenly not buy the real world object. But of course, what's very interesting for a brand like Rolex is that in the NFT space, they have new and different touch points for those people that are buying those digital items. So, 
is it goes back to the access token things. They can invite them to online events. They can connect them to other influencers. They can airdrop them various things into their wallets. And they can constantly generate a conversation with the user and the purchaser consumer that perhaps they can't do when someone just makes an individual purchase in a shop and walks out with it. So again, for us, particularly with retail, it's about exploring those touch points and, and creatively what you can do sort of before, during and after. Probably the biggest and most interesting sector there, of course, is sports because a sport is a one-off live event. You know, it's three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or whatever it is. What the brands and the sports codes are trying to do is, is engage the audiences before, during and then after. So there's a long tail of engagement. And I think this is where some of these technologies can really kind of come in to add to the fan experience. Mm. Do you think airdrops are going to become like the email marketing of the future then? Possibly to an extent, but I think in a much more curated and thought through way. Obviously, that's sort of, there's an interesting component to that with regards to things like wallets and kind of, you know, know your client and some of the privacy components around that. But I mean, already, I mean, I may drop tokens every other week. I may drop something. It's usually rubbish. So again, it's easy to kind of spam filter that out. But I think there's definitely there's marketing value in being able to engage with audiences that have already expressed an interest in your brand in a different way to you would be able to do with like an EDM or something along those lines. And do you think that the like the next phase of NFTs, as we see more adoption of perhaps these worlds and, and people venturing into them, not just from a gaming perspective or a gimmick perspective, but for the real world utility, do you mm. think that these wearable items are going to become more sought after as we do? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, rarity tends to make things more desirable, you know. I think there's a, certainly an influencer role to be played in that as well. But yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, thinking about utilities as almost replacements for things like loyalty programs or points, thinking about how they might connect a more passive experience, just like walking around passively a digital world to a more active experience, like a game where play to earn gaming and the growth in that and then how the underlying token economy of that works is very interesting i'm spending a bit of time just this week for my own interest having a look at sort of the, the gaming space which is like per- they're calling it purposeful gaming mm-hmm. so it's how in-game nfts or in-game rewards can have a purposeful physical outcome so an example you know playing a marine type game where points one or points earned actually had a real world impact on the Great Barrier Reef or an initiative around there to stop the coral bleaching or so that the work that you did and the time that you invested and the NFTs that were awarded or were purchasing online has a real world impact, I think is really interesting. And I haven't seen anything like that before with other sort of types of affiliate marketing, particularly or other ways to engage an audience because it's, you know, if you're valuing your time and which people now are increasingly doing and you're interested in something like that, you are very motivated to play and to engage if you know that there's a genuine outcome that you care about. And that's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, you can say to your wife or partner or or mom that, hey, mom, I'm doing something actually good for the environment here by playing this game. Yeah. Just sitting there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my, you know, toddlers, and you can already get a sense how they're going to be valuing their time. And it certainly won't be sufficient for me to tell them to put the game console down because, you know, I think they'll be doing it in a very different way. And I think they will expect to be rewarded for the time that they're investing. Mm, Yes, which does really lean into Web3 and that real ownership of our own data, which is what, you know, we've spoken about a few times on the pod now, but this expectation, I think, with this younger generation that that's what they're entitled to because they haven't had 
the internet experience that we all had. They didn't have the internet where you could just read, like read-only internet. They didn't have the internet that was kind of that next stage where we're living is still in some places with that. So when they're being brought up with this internet where they can own their own data and they own their time and those things and they get compensated for it, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what they build and what they think of and what they expect from that as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my children expect things that are digital to be spatial. You know, my three and a half year old boy, if he's in my arms, he'll go up to the TV and he'll try and swipe across a 60 inch TV <laughs> that's on because he expects interaction yeah. and he expects that. You know, he saw a, just a decal sticker of Bluey in a bookstore window the other day and he was expecting, he said, oh, it's Bluey. And he expected Bluey to kind of come out at him. I should tell you, that's a sticker, you know, it's a sticker in a window, but he anticipated interaction and he expected that asset to be dimensionalized, I think. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe No, I've seen it as well. I've seen it with my niece and nephew, like, you know, the way they interact. And, and the thing that, like, you know, phones and iPads, they're always second nature. I swear they can use them better than I can. But it's just this new world that we're moving into that I think we can learn so much from them as well and learn from their expectations of, you know, what might be next. If they're looking for this and they're hoping for these interactions and these things, is that something that we as society are going to move to as well? Because they demand it, which is well, yeah. really, really interesting. That's right. And I mean, this talks to, you know, UI, UX, CX, the sort of, there's some really interesting work being done in sort of human-centered design around what do we expect of buttons and doorways and in virtual worlds? And, and how frustrating is it when you can't interact with something in the same way that you can with something in the real world, you know, mm. in, in a digital environment? Because you sort of, your brain is, the more immersive we're getting, the more we're expecting full operability of all of the assets in that environment. And if we don't get them, we get very frustrated. So, yeah, it's the whole nother discipline or the kind of the design component of virtual environments. But it's also really, it's really interesting. We could literally do a whole other podcast episode just on this topic because there's so many roads you could go down in this particular space and, and this whole experience of this world, which I just think is fascinating. So yeah, we could just talk for hours, but I'd love to go back to looking at all of the people that are doing some incredible work here. You've touched on some that you mentioned, and I think at the moment, so much of what we're talking about today will still seem so foreign to a lot of listeners. You know, it will seem something that does seem a long way away, but we've seen how fast just crypto and blockchain has moved just in, you know, the last 12 months alone, mm. let alone the last five years. So who do you think is leading the space here and someone to really keep an eye on? Well, I mean, in terms of mass adoption, you can't look beyond meta. Uh, so, mm. you know, the old Facebook lot. And I mean, that's probably quite a controversial company to mention or to talk to as the company that are leading the way, whether you like them or load them, I think they are. And I think they have the scale, you know, to make a real dent in the ubiquity of some of these tools and technologies. So you have to mention them as mm. part of the account. And again, it's a whole nother glass of wine as to what Zuckerberg really thinks about decentralization and underlying economies and the reality of that as against what he's got to say for shareholders. But that's a, yeah, I think you've got to look at them. There's always talk about people bringing out different headsets. Uh, there's Apple have been talking about, you know, mixed reality head mounted display for the longest time. And it depends what internet forum you read. But I think as and when those products come online, which they will, there'll be a tipping point there as well. So for me, it, it really goes back to the brands that they don't want to get themselves caught short. They don't want to get themselves to a point where two or three of these things are colliding together and they suddenly realize that all of their assets forever are just 2D. And that's the conversations we're having now. We have get, get yourselves ready for this reality because even if you believe 10% of what I'm saying, you're still going to need some spatial assets. You're still going to need 
some dimensionalized assets. So that's from the business side of things. I think from the consumer side of things, it is taking longer and it will take longer than people think. And this is what I've had, particularly with our investors, I've had to say to them, you know, you have to be patient. You have to be patient on public adoption because I'm a geek with this stuff and I love it. And, you know, I expect it all tomorrow. But the reality is until it can fundamentally improve the way people are doing things presently, the status quo will continue. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see people. I've been to a few of these few things recently where people have asked me for timeframes on a lot of this stuff. And it's really hard. It's really hard. But I, I think as a broad proposition, longer than we think. It's probably a controversial view. And, you know, you might have people listening that don't agree with that. But I think longer than we anticipate. Yeah, and I think as well, like, you know, we were seeing such good momentum with crypto for a while there as well. And there's always this pullback, like, you know, even though this is disassociated in some ways, it is still that hesitation, I think, from society as a whole. But it's when we start to break down those walls, and we just did a really, really interesting conversation on DAOs, and we're talking Mm. about, you know, how the future of DAOs can look similar to a board. It can look similar to, like, you know, an everyday board that people are used to, that they can contribute and voice an opinion and have a say, like, you know, that can look like a doubt. And when you start to bring in experiences that really pull away those walls and really allow them to feel like, oh, it's just, it's exactly the same as going to a normal town hall. It's just that that person is there. Like, you know, when they start to experience that, I think that's when we'll start to see a bit more momentum. But it's like, you know, there's always the cost and the time and people are scared of this stuff as well, which sounds crazy, but it is something that, that people are, you know, I guess more reserved with as well. Yeah. And that comes back to the CX, you know, it comes, if you're going to buy a ticket, let's say to a gig, you know, there's so much with NFTs and airdrops. We've talked about that. We've talked, you know, wallets and the privacy and the, you know, the scamming that goes around with actual physical ticket sales and then the loyalty. And there's so much cool stuff that you could do around ticketing. But until this, the consumer experience is better doing it in the way that I would like to see it done on chain with tokens and shareability and ownership of asset and all the rest of it, it won't happen. Or, or at least it'll happen slower because as a general rule, if it ain't broke, there's no need to fix it. And yeah. that's something that we're conscious of as a business. Obviously, we, we're still a relatively small business and we, we know we've got to make a living. So we're sort of looking at there's low-hanging fruit, but then also where some of the bigger bluer sky opportunities within this further down the line. But I mean, ticketing, I think, is a good example, as is loyalty programming. I noticed that Qantas have just announced their first sort of foray into NFTs, which is interesting. But I think when they realize if they haven't already, that their whole loyalty program will be replaced with an NFT type solution, even if the public doesn't know that that's what they're being fed, it's just the next generation of loyalty. That's when it starts to get very interesting. You mentioned DAOs. I mean, yeah, there's some re- and some fantastic people doing some great things in Australia with DAOs. And I think if I may make a comment on that, I think yeah. the regulatory environment in Australia is looking really positive. It was certainly looking positive under the previous government. We hope that that'll carry along. And I would just want to name check what Blockchain Australia are doing. I was at one of their virtual conferences a month ago. And they, you know, they're bringing some really heavy hitters to make sure that Australia was really well positioned as a place that you'd want to come and do business in this sector. And that's massively crucial because whilst it, it's not necessarily my own interest or certainly not my specialist subject, the content layer makes no difference unless it's a good regulatory environment in which we can work. So I think that's an important component too. Yeah. And that again goes back to building trust when it's yeah. all, because it, to other people, this also feels like the same ecosystem if they're looking at it from an actual subjective wanting to buy in way. I think when you mentioned like uh, Qantas rolling this out and we've seen it, even just like with Instagram and things like that, you know, they just roll out features and they're in your face. And that's just what happens. And I think with tickets and, and ticketing, we will probably see that shift. And we have with a few events now in that, you know, the tickets that are sold are NFTs. 
And Mm -hmm. it's just like, well, if you want to buy this ticket to this event, this is how you do it. And for some people, they'll be terrified and they'll be like, oh my God, is this a scam? But once you've done it once and then perhaps get an airdrop after it or get another benefit after it or get access to a community after it, you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. So you just have to like, you know, be part of it. And then as you said, once you've done it, it's just something that becomes second nature and it just, it's not a scary thing anymore. It's not this picture of a monkey. It's just part of life. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. And so going back to the tech behind all of this, because all of this relies on, of course, blockchain as well. Is there anyone in the space that you think is really going to be leading the way in that aspect? Well, I've touched on Immutable. I mean, I, what, obviously what Immutable are doing is quite interesting because they're trying to move us away from, you know, the reliance on Ethereum's really heavy gas fees and some of the challenges around that. So I think, you know, there's some very interesting sort of layer two chains that are trying to solve some of the challenges associated with that. So specifically in Australia, yeah, they're definitely people to keep an eye on because they're doing some really interesting things and, and they're doing it across gaming and then utility as well with their own platform by the looks of things. I don't think there's going to be one chain that kind of necessarily rules the roost. I think you might find different chains having different benefits and utilities and therefore becoming ubiquitous depending on the use case. Because you might be very comfortable, for example, buying NFTs on Bitcoin if it's a big purchase or you know, if it's something that fits within that Bitcoin ecosystem. But if you're trying to buy an, you know, an Axie Infinity creature or you're you know, trying to make micropayments, it's not going to work unless some of these layer two solutions and roll up solutions kind of come to the fore. So I think, yeah, some really interesting companies that are doing work in that in Australia and then, of course, in other parts of the world as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Paul, like in this podcast, I guess we just scratch on the surface of so many of these topics because they're huge, huge topics to unpack. And so we kind of give a taster of what it is. And of course, our listeners come back to us and let us know, oh my gosh, I want to know more about this. But for those that are just can't wait and they want to dive into this right now, where could they start to look? Where could they find out some more information about this? So specifically around some of the work that we're doing in content production, I mean, certainly have a look at what Art Media are doing at the moment. As I say, we're their partner down here for that. You know, I think that's interesting in terms of holographic content. I would also, you know, encourage people to start to think about from a human performance perspective, doing some deep diving into volumetric capture and what that actually is and how that can have an impact on their business and how that can help them generate human performance for virtual worlds, real human performance, video and live. Where else do I turn... In terms of dApps, I think dApps, you know, obviously the dApp ecosystem is really interesting and I use state of dApps a lot. I'm always on that, just trying to get my head around what's coming out, what's cool, what might work, what might not. I say my interest is more on the creative layer. So I think the underlying technology, yes, of course, crucial. Where I tend to spend most of my time is thinking about what that consumer experience is going to be and how the creative layer plays a part in that. Mm, And I do think as well, like it is such a funny statement, but I do think learning from a younger generation is actually such a good idea for this as well. Like if you just follow them around, like a three and a half year old, perfect example, follow them around and see what they expect. It would be so fascinating. Well, my toddlers expect a lot. So I don't know whether there's anything to try and follow, but no, I mean, your point's well made. I I mean, certainly my 13, 14 year old nephews are very interesting. And I'm always asking them, you know, what not just in the crypto space, but generally, you know, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you playing? Because it just gives you another view. But I'm also asking the same questions of my, you know, my father who's in his 70s, who still doesn't understand what I do for a living and probably never will. But that's okay. <laughs> What's very interesting, the moment that he opened up his Oculus, for example, and he put on an Oculus headset and he started to play around and found himself being able to transport to different worlds and to dive through maps. And, you know, then it sort of piqued his interest in travel. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is really working. And it's intuitive because he can just pull it on and do it himself. He doesn't need me to kind of guide him through it. So I think it sort of works on both levels of the spectrum. You really want to try and keep creatively abreast of what most people are doing if you can, as far as you can. 
Yeah. And guys, if you haven't ever had the experience to pop on a headset, I'd recommend doing it and doing it now because you can just tell this is going to go so fast and, you know, take longer than we probably expect, as you mentioned. But I think that if you get the chance to be immersed in this technology now and see what it's like now, it will just blow your mind with how quickly this moves as well. Like even in the last couple of years, you know, I think I put on my first headset maybe like five years ago or it might not have been that long, but it was just this surreal experience. And, you know, I was feeling dizzy and walking around and it was an, an underwater one. I previously worked on Hamilton Island for a while. And so it was something to do with our activation up there. And it was just like, you know, I could see the resort and see all of this, but it, you felt sick doing it. And even just the tech that we've got now versus back then is so different. So I think to be part of it now and to actually expose yourself to this now is so interesting just to see how different it's going to be in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, we do all of our management meetings in headset. You know, we're actually doing it in a putt-putt game called Walkabout Golf. <laughs> Marina, our MD's up in the Northern Beaches. David, my business partner's in Adelaide. I'm in Sydney. And we all just, we've all got a headset. We all put the headset on. We play around with some putt-putt golf for a bit and have a bit of a laugh. And then we kind of teleport into a boardroom, into a virtual boardroom or onto a beach or into a castle or whatever it is to have our management meetings and our discussions on what we're doing. So, yeah, it has very practical use cases. And I love the creative component of VR coming from a sort of traditional film TV background is sort of what really got me into it. The fact that you can play with scale, you can be a tiny person in a massive room or a massive person in a tiny room uh, mm. is really exciting. So if you do get one of those headsets, which of course I'd recommend, try all sorts of stuff. Try things that you might not necessarily think you're interested in. Try and keep your mind in what it feels like to be tiny in a big world and what it feels like to be massive looking down on a diorama of a whole city. Because I think that might then make you think about not only what you're interested in, but it also, if you're creative and you're thinking about these experiences from a business perspective, how you might want to develop experiences. Yeah. And even just replacing your Monday morning Zoom meeting with the opportunity to sit in a castle and have a meeting, that's yes. uh, much more appealing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> much- well, whether it makes us any more efficient, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm sure we could measure that at some point, but it's certainly more interesting. and More creative um, as well, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like you say, it's certainly better than being on a Zoom call. So that at the very least is to its credit. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a huge topic to unpack. And I think there's really some exciting things happening in this space. So we'll pop everything in the show notes so people can come and find you. But where can they head to first if they want to jump right now? I think LinkedIn's probably my most active social platform. So you can find me there. Imagineroom.com is our website. It's not the fanciest of websites, but it'll give you an idea. But yeah, feel free to ask any questions. As I say, we've got a big studio in Melbourne that we've partnered with Swinburne University on. We're here at Carriage Works at the moment in Sydney, and we've got an outpost in Adelaide as well. So feel free to reach out. Well, thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 